0: profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.
1: I've had the opportunity to work with CPAs too, and it's been the same thing, because what happens is that when you start seeing the problem from a value standpoint, not from a price, from the numerical price, then actually I think things start making sense. That's why need-based segmentation is so helpful. So every single time you uncover needs, it gives you a lot of information.
0: Welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I teach you how to create all the revenue you want while taking Fridays off. My name is Geraldine Carter. Most CPAs struggle with pricing. Some have moved to flat rate or subscription pricing, and some still bill by the hour. What they often struggle to understand is the full depth of the value they offer to their clients. And because they don't fully understand the value, they're leaving everest size mountains of money on the table, which means they have to work a lot harder to compensate for the missed opportunity. Here today to talk with me about this problem is my guest, Jose Mirabal. Jose is the author of the value-based pricing framework and the founder and director of the Pricing Institute, where he has advised more than 1,500 companies in 42 industries on their pricing strategies. He also happens to be a fellow classmate, Cornell 1998, and we finally meet today. Jose, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm great. It's lovely to have you here. So let's dive in with a slow pitch to get us started before we talk about value. How did you become an expert in pricing?
1: Out of a talk. It was 2015. I actually had um, my, my consulting firm was actually focused on sales strategy. So we were looking for clients interested in optimizing their sales strategies. Um, and at some point, um, a friend of mine offered me a talk at a CEO group, um, and they told me flat out, come here and talk, but don't talk about sales because it's low level for, for the, our CEOs. And I thought that was an insult. Um, then what happens is that they told me you have to choose other topics. So. I remember I had a pricing issue back in 2007 when I was working for Telmex in the U.S. And uh, I said, OK, I'll talk about that problem. I never turned back after that.
0: So let's talk about value, because it's a place where I see a lot of CPAs getting stuck and not just CPAs. So many business owners are used to pricing something that they can measure and all agree on, and we all agree on the length of an hour. And they have to shift to something entirely subjective and qualitative. And I think you saw this problem that there's no kind of formula or model or way to make it easy to convert something nebulous into something that actually kind of speaks dollars. So can you talk about the model that you created to define and quantify value?
1: I created this model because there was not one. and I did not create the the model originally to offer it to anybody other than just to sort of like uh, organize all this information uh, for me and for my clients' use. Um, I read lots of books, there are lots of fantastic and phenomenal books, but I found out uh, that most of the interesting information was actually on the scientific side. Uh, most of it was actually found in journals, uh, journals of behavioral economics, journals of psychology, of marketing research. And What I found out is that most of this information was actually not available for businessmen. Everything was actually highly scientific. Now. Thank God, I actually studied science back at school, uh, and I like that. So I started reading it, and uh, what I found out is that lots of great information, but there was no there was no centralized area where you could actually read it. There was no methodology. Uh, lots, uh, there's lots of books based on discounts. There are books based on conjoint analysis. There are books based on uh, value-based pricing. But really, they just show you things, but in an unorganized way. Or at least I would say that none of these authors really like sat down to figure out how could a small business owner really use this information. And that's when I found out the gap. I, what I found out is that most of, the, most of the pricing information nowadays is geared towards analysts. It's geared towards, and I'm gonna say something people don't will not like, and I'm sorry, it's not geared towards owners. So for an owner, Today, the pricing problem, it's not something that they feel it hits them directly because they are the owners. And that's I think where the biggest gap is because price and pricing hits directly the owner first. Because everybody gets paid a salary, but usually the company's profits Are just seen last, and when you are in a boardroom, you see that they are actually looking at these numbers probably with a time relay of months. Sometimes they're looking on March what they sold on January till March. Mm -hmm. So back at that point is when you realize that you either your profits went up or your profits actually went down. So what I did is that at some point because I was advising uh, company owners. Uh, the materials that were out there were not enough for them because it were not even geared towards them. I mean, a CEO or or a company owner does not have 600 pages of worth of time of technical information to figure out if there's anything over there that they could actually pass down to maybe not even the direct guy, but probably to somebody in administration or finance. And then they would give that information down to some pricing analyst all the way down there. So I thought there was a huge disconnection between the information, um, who the information should be targeted to, and definitely the people that needs it the most. And I think nowadays that when looking back, I think that the owners need the information even way before a pricing analyst or even a sales manager needs it. And the reason is, if you don't know as an owner, if you can control everybody's focus on the price I would, I would call it a price floor. Everybody's concerned about their costs, uh, but nobody mm-hmm. really worries about the price ceiling. And particularly there, the idea is to figure out and uncover value and value perception to see which services, specific services that you offer actually might have a higher willingness to pay from clients. So. What happens is that I created a methodology that I started taking content from uh, from other authors to. I, I uh, twisted it all around because I obviously w- tried to make this work for my clients. And I have to say that it's, it's paid off well. I mean, today I have clients in 42 industries and uh, everybody from startups all the way to large multinational companies, they use the same frame. It works. And the only reason it works is not because it's my invention. It's just because I just put some order in... Uh, a concept that is usually highly unorganized. So what's in the frame? Tell us what's in the model. Well, what happens is that this model is based on, on uh, six components uh, of value. Uh, we're all worried about value, right? So uh, the question is that everybody worries about value, but they go down into figuring out costs. And there's no relationship in cost and value. I mean, I don't go and buy a TV and uh, I'm, wor- I'm thinking how much worth it is it to me based on cost. Um, or as Rafi Mohammed said, you know, you don't go to buy a TV and then when the guy asks you for your budget, you says 2.2 times its cost, please. Nobody says that, but everybody prices that way. So what I did is that I figured out, I broke it down in, in terms of value and literally I, I just figured out a way to analyze value or uncover value, a way to monetize that value, then a way to promote that value, to sell that value to monitor that value and to analyze that value. So these are six different areas that they all work in a chain, but they're not the same event. I mean, for you to uncover value, you need to know pretty much what value is. You need to uh, know what value is in the eyes of your customer and somehow you need to be able to quantify that. So uh, I created a, a sort of like a process where people can actually start by segmenting clients and I do need based segmentation. Um, And then based on that segmentation, we uncover objective values and then we analyze them in nine dimensions. I created these dimensions. I read some of them, for instance, Rafi Mohammed, I think he offers six. Uh, uh, So far I grew mine to 10. And in all honesty, what happens is that in order for you to think of value, you need to think of value on dimensions. If something is cheap, it doesn't mean that it's the same value that something that is has fast access or ease of use. So what I did is that uh, I created this nomenclature of 10 dimensions. And, um, you know, I do, when we are looking and analyzing, uh, attributes, we look, uh, we look for what's the brand. I mean, uh, in terms of brand, sometimes you For instance, you go to a store, you know, you you see some shoes uh, that are branded and then some are unbranded. Sometimes clients are looking for brands, for specific brands. So I I call brand uh, a value attribute, Uh, same quality, Uh, same with service, Uh, same with physical attributes. Sometimes there are people that says, I want it in red (laughs) or I want uh, four gigabytes, please. Or, you know, I want so these are physical attributes. Then you have ease, levels of convenience. And I call them ease of use, ease of purchase, ease of access. Uh, I have another one called ease of use by occasion, which is when you have special uses. Think of it, for instance, an ambulance service, you know, it transports people, but it's on special services. So I would call some service like that, somebody that is looking for an emergency service or urgency service that's ease of use by occasion. And uh, then I go with experience and style. So I break down value and I teach this method of 10 dimensions and then clients or the customers are able to actually analyze value, but not put it in one big fat list, but break it down into different lists. That way, when we're talking about uh, different companies or different value attributes, we can talk about. Okay, if we're comparing you with another competitor, what's the ease of use? What's the ease of access? Maybe there are accountants or in CPAs that they work just Monday through Friday, nine to five. Maybe there are other accountants that they can work on the weekends. Maybe there are accountants that they can actually work overnight and get a, a job. I mean, all that's value, but how do you quantify that value first? So we created this way of segmenting value. And that's part of the uh, way we uncover value. Then uh, the way of monetizing value—it's very simple. I always, I I, always been wait, 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 wait.
0: Before you go to monetizing, yes, this is the question everyone wants the answer to: Is how do you quantify the value?
1: How do I quantify value? Okay, so let me give you an idea. Um, The exercise, the the technical level, I would say it's a monetization by differences. Okay? So you monetize based on differences. Let me give you an example. So let's say that you are a t-shirt manufacturer, okay, of unbranded white t-shirts. Now let's say that you want to put a, a price based on value, not on cost. So the first question would be, if I look at this t-shirt on the store, but I choose not to buy it, what would be the next best alternative? I mean, what would be the next item that I would buy? So. Let's assume for argument's sake that the only other white t-shirt you can buy or you would compare it, it's a branded white t-shirt. Let's say that it's a Lacoste white t-shirt or a Ralph Lauren white t-shirt. And let's say for argument's sake that I am the same manufacturer. So I manufacture for them and I manufacture unbranded for me. And let's say that they're exactly the same two white t-shirts, the only difference is the brand, okay? So, or the brand logo. So the question is, how much is my t-shirt? How much should I charge my t-shirt? So based on monetization by differences, the first thing I have to do is, I would have to base the price of my t-shirt based on the next best alternative. Now let's say for argument's sake that the Lacoste t-shirt it's worth they're selling for 50 bucks i'll just throw a number okay so out of the 50 dollars the question is how much or how what's the worth of the brand so out of those 50 dollars on a percentage wise how much do you think it's brand well some people say 30 percent. some people might say 40 percent. some people might even say 60 percent of the price of the t-shirt and that's fine that's a qualitative analysis okay so What's the price of your T-shirt? It would be the price of the next best alternative, the Lacoste T-shirt, minus the differences. In this case, they have the brand, you don't. You, let's say for argument's sake, you based that value on 30%. So you're saying, you know, it's 30% what I think the value, the the brand is worth. So out of that $50 T-shirt, you take the 30% out. Okay, so the value of your T-shirt should be 35. That would give you a reference price based on value, in this case on the differences. And then what you would need to do by default is go out and test your price. If people buy, then you have a price, you've actually set up a price based on value. If people don't buy it, then you have to go back and just reassess and say, okay, was it 30% or maybe it's more. That's a very good way to actually uncover value because when people buy, they buy based on differences, people compare items. So if I'm, if I want to hire a CPA and I am, uh, uh, and I'm quoting four different CPA services in the absence of any recognizable difference, the only variable that the client will use to make a purchase decision will be price. And I think that's something that most, uh, business owners and companies need to be aware of that today clients. When they are telling you that your prices are similar or too expensive in comparison to other, to other uh, companies, uh, that's a sign that you probably need to work more on your differences. And that's a sign that you need to better uh, assess how does your product and services differ from the next best alternatives. The
0: case for making yourself different, right, which some CPAs are reluctant to do because they might in their minds, push away customers.
1: Absolutely. But to, and it's good that you said that because, and I'm sorry I, I cut you, but that's an interesting fact because that fear is pretty much, I would say that it's one of the biggest reasons you see lots of professional and businesses not going into the value-based pricing framework. And the reason is because they're afraid they're going to lose clients. Well, let me tell you something. I had a, I had an issue with a client in Brazil. Okay, 40,000 users on a free platform. It was Scare as hell to charge. And he was telling me, Oh my gosh, if I charge, you know, I'm going to lose my clients. Now, the software he had, I mean, fantastic software it is used actually for flight plans, for pre flight plans today. Actually, American Airlines uses that software and they were using it for free for two years. So the funny thing is that they have 40,000 users. And I said, Hey, can I do an equation for you? A simple equation, simple math. Yes. I said, Okay, 40,000 times zero equals zero. Okay, <laughs> most days of the week. All right. So I told them. I said, okay, let's just say that you pay that you lose thirty-five thousand clients, and only five thousand stay, but you charge ten bucks. Five thousand times ten equals fifty thousand. So the question here is that what's more important for you: forty thousand users with no profits, or five thousand users and fifty thousand bucks a month? And that's that's one of the things that I I, I believe. Uh, customers, or I believe, companies need to change. Which is the perception that just because you have income, you're doing good. No, income and growth has nothing to do with profits. You can sell a lot of products and make little money, and you know what? Doesn't really matter. You're just working more. You know,
0: profitable mediocrity is a dangerous trap.
1: Absolutely, and that, and, and it's a, it's a trap where most of the companies are.
0: Yeah. So I want to go back to before. Well, okay. So before we get back to the dimensions, I just want to make sure we've got a tight answer on how to quantify value. Cause like I say, a lot of people get stuck here and you gave us the t-shirt example and the value of, you know, sewing an alligator onto your shirt is maybe it's 35 bucks. We don't know, but I think the short answer is we need to test it to find out where the price ceiling is. Would you agree with that? Or is there, a, or is there anything else you would add to that?
1: I mean, you have you have to test all your prices and you have to continuously monitor your prices, too, which is something that most companies don't do. Like, for instance, this is the biggest problem. Uh, Let me just give you a couple of technical issues that make this. I mean, this is not a hard problem. And I want to tell the audience that this is not hard.
0: What's not hard? Pricing isn't hard or what's what's the part that's not hard?
1: Pricing and uncovering and monetizing value. It's not hard it's not it's just that nobody taught you how to do it yes okay it's the same problem with sales everybody hates sales for one reason nobody taught nobody taught people how to close right so obviously i hate sales if nobody t- teaches me how to be a good close if i'm an if i'm an amazing closer i love sales so same thing with pricing now the important thing with pricing and how to set up your prices i would say that there are a couple of rules that you need to base okay first of all if you want to do value based pricing All value-based prices are supported by the price of the next best alternative, okay? Let me give an idea, an example, okay? When you go to the movie theater, okay, when you used to go to the movie theater and you buy popcorns and drinks, right? Have you questioned yourself paying so much money for popcorn? Because sometimes it's like, you know how much corn is and then you go to the movie theater and then they're charging you like nine bucks for popcorn for a combo.
0: Yeah, well, I do. I'm not sure everyone, I don't know if other people do, but I can't stomach a $9 bucket of popcorn, of which I know I can only eat half maximum.
1: Now, let me tell you something interesting. That's a value-based price. My theory says, okay, every price based on value should be in reference to the next best alternative. So when you're buying popcorn or a combo of popcorn and drinks at the movie theater, the question is, where did they come up with that price? Is it related to costs? Absolutely not. It's related to the price of the next best alternative. So the question here is what's the next best alternative. So for the audience, this is a, I hope you use this as an analogy and then think, of, think about this in your own business. Well, let's see, if you don't buy popcorn and drinks or soda at the movie theater, where would you buy? junk food. Then.
0: Yeah, you'd have to go to the grocery store, or the convenience store, or like zip home and make a batch and tuck it into your coat.
1: I mean, people don't say, hey, I want to eat popcorn. You want to go and eat popcorn? Let's go to the movie theater. No, right? Right. No. <laughs> what, what you do is that usually you want to go to the movie theater. And then what you figure out is that you want to eat junk food. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what's the junk food? Junk food, popcorn, it's salty. Okay. Soda I sweet. So sweet and salty. What would be the next best alternative to sweet, unsalted junk food the the next best alternative is activated when you're saying I went to the movie theater, I wanted to eat junk food, I saw the popcorn and the soda, but I did not buy it there. I bought it somewhere else, so that means that it would have to be either before the movie theater or after the movie theater so I would say that it's burgers. It's a burger. That's like the uh, that for excellence. Uh, I think that's junk food uh, everywhere. So my question is, if you go want to buy junk food and you want to buy a burger, where would you go in the U.S.?
0: I might go to McDonald's if it was super close.
1: Okay, so let me just uh, land this. The price of a combo of popcorn and soda in the movie theater it's more related to the price of a basic McDonald's combo than the costs related popcorn and soda so I'll say that again when you buy something at the movie theater which is a combo and it's about eight nine bucks or 12 bucks it doesn't have to do with cost it has to do with the fact that if you don't buy popcorn and soda you would probably go to McDonald's and then you would buy a little small combo of burger and fries and a drink and that would probably cost you that so the price of of, uh, popcorn It's more related to the price of a combo McDonald's than the cost related to making popcorn. So the same thing happens everywhere. So if I am a CPA and I'm the only CPA that uh, I'm able to do one specific service for an industry and I need to set up the price, my question would be, if the client doesn't buy from you, where would he go and buy from? And Whatever that next best alternative is, that would be probably what you should use as an anchor to actually establish your prices. Um, And that's the same thing that happens nowadays. The price of a Samsung S10 has more to do with the price of an iPhone 10 than the cost of fabrication of Samsung. So when you buy things, you buy things based on the next best alternatives. You know, a bottle of wine that costs 25 bucks, in among bottles of wines that are between five and 10 bucks looks expensive. That same bottle of wine put on context with other bottles of wine that cost between 40 and 90 bucks looks cheap. So the idea is that you need to measure context and the context from a value standpoint is measured as to where would your clients go if they don't buy directly from you. But this is the catch. You need to find next best alternative. And for a CPA, this is very important. Why? Because there are different services. There are CPAs are like doctors, right? There's like general doctors, then there are oncologists. Okay. Then you have dentists, then you have Out of all the health profession, you have different areas. Well, CPAs too, right? You have some CPAs that are, are very good working with small companies, others that are very good working with restaurants, others that are very good working with huge or tremendous B2B volume companies. Well, the question is, if they don't buy from you, Where would they buy buy from? I'm talking about the client. If you are a large retailer and you need actually accounting services, where would you go? So probably that company would go to a large accounting firm, right? How much do they charge? Now you have next best alternative and now you have a price point. And then I can use and compare myself against that price point or against those services and do monetization by differences to sort of like... Qualitatively figure out that price based on the differences, just as you actually uh, commented on the Lacoste logo. Okay, so where some people might get stuck
0: here is if they're still hourly billing, they're gonna get compared to the CPA firm down the block that is also billing by the hour. And if you're gonna do, you're gonna look for apples to apples. CPA firm down the block is billing, I don't know, $325 an hour. And you're going to go, okay, are they the next best alternative? And you're going to still be tempted, are you going to be tempted to pin your price at what, $375 an hour? But what they need to do is make the leap out of hourly, make themselves different enough in terms of service and like get out of the hourly trap, price the service and not have anybody that even looks remotely like them?
1: Yes, um, it's a good question, but this is the thing. I think, you, I think the problem has to be seen from another perspective. I mean, because we are centering the problem on the, on the price itself. Everybody charges 350, should they charge 345? The question is, price is what you pay, but value is what you get. So beyond the price, I would say 350, 375, for what? What exactly are you offering for 350 or 375 so if you're comparing yourself with a big consulting firm for instance or a big accounting firm that charges by the hour okay that's just the monetization model that they're using but the question here is that i analyze the competitor not only on their prices but on the configuration of their product and services so in other words if i'm buying if i go to the market to buy a car and i wanna and they tell me hey buy this car is only eighteen thousand dollars well what is it? Is it a Toyota Corolla or is it a Mercedes C-Class? Because it depends on the configuration. And that's what I want to focus on. When I do pricing, I don't start with the price. I start with the configuration, with the product or service configuration. And what I find out is that even though everybody's competing on prices, most of the business configurations are different. So you might have a large consulting firm that they're saying that they have 400 accountants. OK, but what happens is that on the services they offer you, they're charging you like a big accounting firm, but they're giving you minimum. And when you're saying, "How do you know they're giving you minimum?" Well, it's actually. Describe on the product description the services. What do you get? How many how many meetings? How many services uh, do they offer? Is a payment? Do they get, do they let you pay in uh, installments? Do you have to pay one flat fee a year? Okay. Do you actually have access to just one type of accounting services, or they do everything? So when you realize is that beyond the price, it's a configuration. After all, if I'm a client, don't tell me that your shoes are worth a thousand bucks. Tell me what the shoes have inside that are worth a thousand bucks same thing with a car same thing with a meal same thing with a service so if you want to start with the pricing don't look for what others are charging as much as what others are offering and within those offers you're going to figure out that some accounting firms they're usually heavily handed when it comes to offering specific services to specific industries. So that actually gives you a lot of intelligence because if, if I were advising a a CPA that let's say that he focuses on retail, he focuses or restaurants for instance. Okay. Um, then my question would be, okay, where would other restaurants go? To fulfill their needs, and that probably is going to give me a bunch of names of competitors. I would look for those competitors, and I would look exactly what they offer. Now, what they offer, where do I get that info? Well, I get that info based on the needs I uncover from the segmentation exercise I did. So, if I uncover that there are five needs, for instance, usually when I do these exercises, they go all the way up to 200 needs. But um, if, let's say that I uncover four or five needs. Okay, so I uncovered that there's a market looking for accounting services and they want it cheap. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be there forever, okay? They want cheap. There might be another client that, although he appreciates cheap, he's actually looking for service. He's probably looking for a specific level of service. Maybe he wants somebody that takes care of the whole thing, he doesn't need to do anything. Maybe there's another one that actually probably doesn't care about service. But my question is that. Level of service would be one thing. Okay, another thing that I would look for is quality. Uh, For instance, here down here in Chile, there are lots of CPAs offering services, but when I look at what they offer, they all, 99% of them, they offer exactly the same thing. They charge you a monthly fee, they do barely minimum, they do your taxes at the end of the year, and that's about it. So there's plenty of space to differentiate when you know What your clients are needing. And this is the thing most clients or most companies don't know what their clients are needing.
0: Yeah. Okay. I love this because what you're doing is taking need by segmentation, which I wanted to ask you about, and tying it back to how you configure your offering, which then informs setting your price.
1: And how do you study your market?
0: And how, which, yeah, is all preceded by studying your market. Absolutely. Let's do this because this is so great and I want to keep this conversation going. So for listeners, what we're going to do is splice this in two so that you've got two episodes to listen to and we are going to bring it back with Jose and pick up right here where we left off. You'll hear us in your earbuds next week. Does the idea of pricing up front make you go deer in the headlights? You wish you could, but you don't know how. The next time you charge somebody 75 bucks for the 30 minutes it took to run a tax plan that saved your client $25,000, stop what you're doing and head over to SheThinksBigCoaching.com to subscribe to my daily drip of business strategy for CPAs. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price your services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can be more profitable, get your time back, and get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down a 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to geraldinecarter.com to learn more. Dates? Times, pricing, it's all there.